Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. Excited for today's guest, we've got Bill Yanger on the show. Uh, he's running locally here in Hillsborough County for the uh, county bench, one of the county bench positions. Which group is that? Group 7. Group 7 on the county bench. Uh, the elections are coming up here in August, so we're getting down to the wire. And uh, as those of you who have listened to this show know, I'm trying to interview as many people as I can so that you have the opportunity to not just see the name on the ballot, but hear from them, hear about them, kind of get an idea, uh, you know, if you like them, how you think they'll be on the bench, et cetera. And uh Bill has been around for a good while. I've known him in the community. I've known of him. We know a lot of the same people, and everybody just has nothing but great things to say about him. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Josh. Appreciate being here. Are you uh, a Florida boy by trade, or did you move here? Or uh, My parents were both born at Tampa General Hospital. Oh. Uh, so okay. I've been here, and they, they've been here. Oh, wow. Born and raised out, up in uh, Forest Hills, Carrollwood area. Okay. And uh, did you go to high school here? Where'd you go? Jesuit High School. Oh, you're a Jesuit guy. Okay. Uh, well, yeah. So you know a lot of my wife's family, and my my, my nephew who pitched Jesuit and went to Vanderbilt and Correct. all that stuff. Correct. And do you have children? I do. How old? Um, I've got a... Um, a son who's 32. Oh, wow. Daughter, 28. Okay. And um, another daughter who uh, is deceased. Oh, um, no. Okay. And uh, she would be 24 now. Oh, wow. 26. I'm oh, sorry. Wow. 26. So, but you're an empty nester. You don't have anybody in the home anymore? Do not. Okay. Do not. Although my son just moved back from Brooklyn after living there for 10 years. He's got his own place here in town, but it's great to be able to see him almost on a daily basis because he has his, his edit suite. He's a film producer and he has his Oh, edits. really? He has his he has his edit suite in our building, so I get to see him. Right what there. type of film does he do? Well, he does a lot of commercial okay. stuff. He uh, was with a couple of very large ad agencies in New York for for about ten years, and then broke off with a business of his own called Break Content. Yeah. Give yeah. him a little plug. Uh, and they do um, primarily they have a, a you know a, a few ad agencies that give him business, but they do uh, Toyota Tundra, Hyatt. Oh, wow. Uh, FedEx. And so he does. Some, it, it's kind of shut down lo- re- recently. For but, sure. Uh, My cousin, uh, he got his director's guild license and he was working in Atlanta and he was doing The Walking Dead and he did uh, a bunch of films for Hulu and Amazon Prime and all this other stuff. And he was uh, he was saying that um, Tyler Perry, they're coming up with this plan where basically they're going to have all the actors and all the production people basically live on campus and start filming content on campus that you come in, you have your 14 day uh, quarantine. And then when you're cleared, they're just going to be doing content and staying on campus and, you know, maybe knock out three movies before they get to go back home to their family. But it's kind of weird, but at the same time, I think it's brilliant because we're running out of stuff to watch. So I think that, that, that is true. I think in the absence <laughs> of anything else to watch, people are going to rapidly flock to whatever whatever new content is being put out. So I never thought I'd dig so deep in Netflix directories. Yeah, you start <laughs> your bar starts to get pretty low as far as what you'll watch all the way through to the end. So anyway. Now, uh, are you an only child, or do you have siblings? I am not. I've got a, a sister who um, was a teacher here in town and then... Um, uh, left and went to law school where I went to law school, South Texas College of Law, and she's been a prosecutor out there for close to 33 years now. She's in actually Montgomery County, which is just north of Houston. Oh wow! So and, she's one of the um, few South Texas graduates who didn't come back to Tampa she, and she, she get met on a, the bench. She met a Houstonian <laughs> oh, and, and walked her in. And locked her in, <laughs> and right. he's an attorney in in in, in Houston, and she runs the. Uh, Juvenile drug court up in Montgomery. Oh County. wow, God, God! 
I, that, that's that's been coming up a lot. Uh, I've been talking with people in the past week about uh, kind of the the history or the genesis of drug laws uh, and how the government has treated the drug epidemic as a criminal problem versus a health problem and how that's criminalized and kind of uh, marginalized a good section of society. And I think as we're coming up on all this police brutality stuff and a lot of this stuff in the news, you kind of can start to trace back and see the treatment of certain ethnic groups and how that's gone from there. There's this movie called 13th, which I've been talking about. I don't know if you saw it, but it talks about how there was a disparity in treatment uh, between quote unquote ethnic drugs and, and, and affluent drugs and how the ethnic drugs had a much higher uh, incarceration sentence uh, attached to them than others and how that's kind of you know, gestated into a big issue that we're dealing with today. So anyway, sorry, not to go off on too much of a tangent. <laughs> she but, deals probably, you know, she deals only with juveniles, so prob- pr- trying to get them into programs early. Early on, right. well, uh, right. so I was a prosecutor in Pinellas. My wife was a prosecutor, and right at the end of her career, she was working with Deanna Farnell, who uh, sh- I think she still runs the drug court over there. I know she had some health issues, but, um, and she's just turned it into its completely its own thing. You know, it's almost like you're in a different, sect than even the courthouse so. yeah shay's kind of the same way my sister the same way she's kind of autonomous over there and, and all kinds of awards and the same judge for yeah. 10 years is, is running it with her so that's awesome yeah. now did you say she was your older sister or younger younger, sister? younger two years okay so were you the first <laughs> attorney in the family or uh, no my dad was an attorney oh, was he actually still is an attorney he got his 50-year medallion a couple of years oh, ago wow and, uh, what, uh, what type yeah. of law does he practice well for years well right now he um uh, does Primarily for estates and trusts and sure, things like probate that. Stuff. But he's, you know, he's living the life on Anna Maria and enjoying it. Oh so. yeah, that's the that's yeah. we, we were talking a little bit before. That's the right. goal. There was we've rented houses down there before, and a couple of times we've rented houses where there's one room you can't get into, and there's a placard <laughs> for an attorney. It's like, oh, there's your office space for <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So for, he he's our Anna Maria office. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Are you guys together? Or? Uh, well, yeah, he's he's in our firm, okay. and um, you know, it, he typically comes in a you know a few times a month into the well pre-COVID, right? Into the you know into the office to uh, tell us what we're not doing. Get right. y'all in and, shape, and to get a couple of more yellow pads because he's still old school yellow. Oh. Oh, for sure. Everything is written down. Oh, my staff get on me because I'll, <laughs> I'll go to depositions or mediations and I stick them in the file and forget it's in there. I probably have about two pallets of legal pads stuck in folders everywhere. But he's so, spent his, he spent his career really the the last twenty or so years of his career uh, workers' compensation. Oh wow, and social security disability. Okay, so, well yeah. there you go. I mean. Right. Kind of by extension, probate kind of is a natural kind of next step from there. You're kind of handling people from their career to that's right yeah. to the end. Yeah. So, so uh, do you remember as a child having uh, some understanding of what your dad did? My kids always ask me what I do, and I just my pat answer is I help people, which. Depending on the day, I'm not sure how true that is, but I just tell them my... Well, I, I do have some vivid memories. You know, my dad was a, a history teacher. He went to University of Tampa. My mom and dad both graduated from University of Tampa, and he was a history teacher at Chamberlain High School. Oh, wow. And uh, because of a number of things that happened back in the, in the mid-60s, uh, a lot of it having to do with civil unrest and things like that, my dad was uh, one of several gentlemen who uh, formed the Classroom Teachers Association back in the mid-60s, and... Uh, whether, you know, it's not now, but in those days, a public employee union was illegal. Yeah. And so he was fired by oh, the wow. principal at Chamberlain and ended up uh, saying, well, you know, I got fired. I've always wanted to go to law school. Now's the time. Wow. So he went to Stetson. And uh, I remember distinctly coming out of my house. We have a little small uh, three-bedroom house in Forest Hills up uh, near Babe Saharia's Golf Course okay. area up in there. And coming out in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or something as a 
uh, literally as like a seven or eight year old and seeing my father on the, at the kitchen table with one of those lamps yeah. <clears throat> over the top of his book. Reading case uh, re- law. Reading case law yeah. and getting ready for school and, and knowing that he was going to school the next day. He drove a VW Bug. So did with, my father. Powder blue. <laughs> all the way over to Stetson and back from, from Carrollwood every day. What color day. was his? So Do you remember? White. It white. Was white. Yeah. Well, my dad, so I'm about 6'4". My dad is 6'5". And if you can picture a 6'5 guy driving around <laughs> in a VW Bug. It looked like he was in a go kart, but uh, yeah, no, I. It's funny. I have a. I, I've had a couple of opportunities recently to pick up a VW Bug, like a refurbished one, and I keep trying to talk my wife into it. She's <laughs> like, "No, there's like ten things we need to." Well, one of his biggest. Uh, it was one of our highlights in for his birthday. I guess it was a year or two into law school. Was we went down to Florida Avenue, one of these small little shops, and got him a new AM radio. Oh yeah, with a single speaker. And I remember he was so happy, and we were so happy to ride around with him with him because he could now listen to his country music that he loves. So. Well, they had so in in ours the 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 lining in the ceiling was all torn out, and so it was just the steel or aluminum or whatever it was. But I used to love when it was raining, I'd go out and take a nap in the back seat of the bug because the rain would just echo throughout that hitting on the, that's a good memory of and mine. In three speeds. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then it was so hot in Florida, you get that aroma once it hits the cement and the steam comes up, you, you get you get used to that stuff. But anyway, so um, well, obviously that, that left a positive uh, mark on you. It, it didn't warn you off. I try and tell my kids do anything but be an attorney, but well, it didn't warm me off, but I will tell you that I, I went to University of Florida okay. after uh, after Jesuit, and I got a journalism degree. Oh, wow. And uh, I was always interested in writing. I had a, a great mentor, uh, Father Cack at Jesuit, who was an English teacher. Okay. And another one, uh, Jeff Dillon, who, had, who is now a, a priest uh, in the Jesuits. He's down in Belize, of all places. Oh, wow. And if you're listening, Jeff, uh, I hope the weather's nice. I hope Jeff is listening. That'd be pretty cool, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, eventually, I'm sure he will. But um, and they, they they pushed me into writing, and um, I was was guided by a few other uh, mentors to go into journalism as opposed to like creative writing because journalism important. is actually a lot like legal analytical. You take a bunch of facts, you crystallize them down into what you want to the the, uh, the the story to say or the 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 the, uh, the message to be right and uh, and and put it out there and so I, I actually really enjoyed the journalism I actually kind of minored in photojournalism so still do a lot of shooting and do you happen to know Mike Foley I do yeah he he was an editor for the St Pete Times yeah. he's a close family friend I grew up with his daughters and he's oh, a professor right? in journalism up there yeah. right now supposedly it's one of the harder classes like I have all these friends whose kids are going up there and. They're all complaining about how hardy grades and everything. Yeah, else, my but. reporting, my reporting professor. I now, now her name slips me right now, but she was a literally a a, a veteran reporter from large northeastern cities, Boston, New York, and and Philadelphia. And uh, the worst grade I got in college, I got a D in her class. She let me make it up the next semester and and improve the grade, but uh, she instilled in me that this is this is serious stuff and well, uh, sit down and, and do it like you're serious about it. Well, I don't want to get political at all, and especially with judicial, judicial nominees, so I won't do it. But just in more of a philosophical sense, with the advent and the escalation in social media and all these different uh, venues for people to kind of be uh, informal uh, journalists and then kind of the loss of objective truth or a, an agreement on the objective truth, I feel like it's in danger journalism of either dying, but we need it, I think, now more than ever. There needs to be some sort of a a guiding light that kind of, t- kind of can course correct people and say, wait a second, 
we know this is true. Like some of this may be opinion, some of this may be opinion, but at least we need to agree on this, whether it's COVID numbers or deaths by police or whatever the thing is. I mean, at a certain point, we need to have a base level understanding of what's empirically true. Have you, do you have opinions on that? Have yeah, you thought I, about that? I, I completely agree. And, and, you know, to the extent that we, you know, as a, as a judicial candidate, you can, we can talk about it. Um, uh, there's nothing, I, I believe, there's really nothing more important uh, than the First Amendment yeah. and uh, our ability to decipher what is and what is not real. And we have to rely on individuals that are going to be our, our, our uh, you know, our reporters of, their, our historians of what's happening in the moment. Yeah. And when we look back at the New York Times or the Tampa Bay Times or whatever it may be, the, you know, the Los Angeles Times, uh, for June 22nd of, two, of 2020, what happened today? You're relying on individuals who garnered the facts, put them in a cohesive, tight little form that we can look at, read, and whether we accept them or not, uh, they go out and do their job. And I do believe that the vast majority, like, any, like politicians, like truck drivers, like police officers, yeah. the vast majority of people are out there doing their job as, as well as they possibly can. And you know, not everyone's going to agree with every news story that comes out right. and the way in which it's portrayed. But I do believe that reporters are out there, especially in these times, doing the very best they can to get the facts to the people. Well, and another thing that I've kind of thought about, and uh, again, is, is, is it seeping into the uh, court system or the judicial system? Because again, that's kind of a microcosm where we have uh, we're trying to establish a narrative, you know, uh, or what is the truth here for either the judge as a fact finder or a jury. And it, and it seems like in today's society, you can just say something louder and enough times. And that kind of becomes what the fact is. And I haven't seen it turn a corner yet in the court system, but I'm wondering if, if that might be on the horizon. I won't ask you to comment on that, <laughs> but it's just something that I've thought about. For those listening, anything I say, he doesn't necessarily agree with, so don't <laughs> impute it to him. But anyway, um, so after law school, where did you go? Well, I got a job in a big, big... Well, wait a second. You went to UF for undergrad. Did you go there for law school as well? I or? did not. I okay. went to South Texas College of Law. Oh, okay. So you did as well. Okay. Right. I went to South Texas and um, uh, uh, after after law school, I actually met my children's mother in law school and got married in law school. Oh, wow. And, wow. And uh, my son was born uh, right after my graduation. Uh, well, a few, I guess a year or so after sure. my graduation, but uh, I worked for a large law firm out there for three years. Doing what type um, of work? Uh, all commercial litigation, essentially what I do now, okay. uh, representing businesses and the people that own them, you know, primarily small businesses. With the large law firm, I was involved as a, you know, as a, uh, as a young associate in a large firm, um, you know, a billing machine. Type sure, of thing. yeah. We did a lot of large tort defense and right. uh, large, we represent the FDIC and the FSLIC back in the days when... Those, the FSLIC was crumbling, and you had all of the, uh, the, the, bank, uh, the bank problems out there and right. officer-director issues. So I, was, I, I did a lot of that, but I had a great mentor who got me into the courtroom early on. I, you know, frankly, I tried my first jury trial about two months after uh, I passed the bar. And, um, That's great. Uh, it was a commercial case. I remember it was a, 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 a Smith Concrete out of Galveston, Texas was, the, was our client. And uh, I can remember just my hands shaking, picking a jury, trying to, because it, it was a lot different than mock trial. Well, for sure, that. and commercial <laughs> stuff, too. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to do criminal, which is probably, for a jury, one of the more exciting topics for them, depending on what the charge is. But when you start getting into PI and commercial and 
some of this other stuff, people's eyes start rolling back in their head. You know, you, you, you use the phrase I was just going to use is that we always go down there. Still to this day, I tried a case in front of Judge Bucklew uh, up in federal court last year, and you could you could tell that they came in with the expectation of federal court. We're going to have some yeah. big biker Drug cartel gang, or some bug, big biker yeah. gang case or yeah. something. And then as soon as we start telling them that it's about credit card fees and things like that, they're all kind of looking at each other like, really? We yeah. came all the way down here for credit card fees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so you did that for three years, and then did, is that when you came back to Florida, or did you stay in Texas? I came Florida? back to Florida. My son was born. Zach uh, okay. was born, and we decided. Uh, my wife and I at the time, uh, uh, she was from New York. Okay. Uh, but we decided uh, we wanted to live in Florida. Sure. And uh, my father was had a had a thriving practice at the time, so I came in was lucky enough to be offered a position in in his firm. And uh, at that time, I practiced primarily personal injury work. Okay. Uh, I did some workers' compensation with him as well. And uh, and did that for probably the first ten or so years that I. What, what years are we looking at here? As far I as I came back, at, well, I graduated eighty six. Okay. Uh, and came back in eighty eight, late eighty eight, and uh, took the bar in February eighty nine. Passed later in February, in, later in eighty nine. I think my bar uh, date is April of eighty nine. And, so it was still uh, Morgan, Colling, and Gilbert. It wasn't Morgan and Morgan yet. <laughs> there was, yeah, it definitely was Morgan, Coll- Morgan, Colling, and Gilbert was uh, were the big, and they were Orlando, primarily Orlando only. Right. Yeah, I was mean, it. was was it as lopsided, saturated at that time as it's become? It was not. There were a couple of big players here in Tampa. Ed Rude was a big yeah. player at those times. Mulholland was. Oh, a big I remember Mulholland yeah. Knight or yeah, yeah. 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 Mulholland was a big player in those times, and then a few other ones. But um, oh, Wagner, Cunningham, McLaughlin, those, yeah. those guys who are you know Allen's still around. And a few others are still in Jim, right. uh, Jim and John uh, John McLaughlin is still around, and Kevin McLaughlin. So, but nowadays yeah. it's it's a different world. I it mean, is a different world. Yeah. I mean, we we to, to even think that we would be putting up billboards and and you know, f- although in those days the big thing was yellow pages. Uh, oh, for you know, sure. Yeah, I, I caught when I so I left the state attorney's office in two thousand and five. So I was right at the tail end of the yellow pages, and they just had you dead to rights, and it was like <laughs> you didn't really have anything else you could do. And it was ridiculously expensive, and and you know, and around that time, then it became direct mail. There was a lot of mailers, especially with the criminal. You know, you pull the clerk's That's list right. and right. send all that out, and then uh, then the websites and social media and pay per click. And you know, I I had a pretty decent wrongful case, uh, wrongful death case in 2017, and I had these dreams that I was going to go on this pay per click campaign that was going to be <laughs> a you know world changer for me. And <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, so, uh, you know, I, I've, I've slowly realized that you got to kind of stay in your lane a little bit and kind of focus on your niche and not try and compete a- dollar absolutely. for dollar with some of these other people. So, Especially um, the ones that are winning the million-dollar verdicts. Well, at a certain point, uh, there's, a, there's a book that I love uh, by Peter Thiel. Do you know who Peter Thiel is? Yes, absolutely. Called From Zero to One, and he talks about how, uh, you know, uh, the path to success is not doing what everybody else does, but creating a, an area that didn't exist before and basically excelling at that. And, and then if you can excel at that by a factor of 10 above everybody else, you're pretty much untouchable. And although John Morgan didn't invent personal injury or you know the plaintiff's work, his marketing has gotten to the point where, if, I don't know if it's just by tyranny of will or marketing dollars, it's it's real close to untouchable. I think it's a, bit, a little of both. Yeah. And I think it's grown since the Morgan Colin Gilbert days. It's oh, grown for sure, and grown yeah. To, yeah. Well, obviously it's grown, but 
just the way in which he approaches it. And he's always been on the forefront of what what's next. Yeah. You know, is is the internet next? Is uh, yeah. is texting next? You know, what what what? How are we going to reach people? Yeah. And he's always been out front in doing that. It's it's and with PI, I mean, you know, there's not many other areas that there isn't such an opportunity for. Um, success, financial success, you know, it's, there's an opportunity for windfall for the lack of a better term. So because of that, it's just so many people, so many people doing it. And so very difficult, you know, I, I started off as a prosecutor when I left the state attorney's office, got into family law, because I knew everybody hates family law. So there must be work to be done there. And then was kind of later to the game on PI, but it's such a different world with the PI. But anyway, I digress. Well, well luckily in those days too, we actually had a number of, of clients we represented my father had been partners with Dick Frank, Pat Frank's, oh, wow. uh, Pat Frank's husband, and Dick was the labor union lawyer on the west coast of Florida, pretty much. And my father was uh, w worked with him for a number of years and became a partner of his. And then when he became a judge, uh, an appellate judge, uh, he, um, uh, my father went into practice with a guy named Kerry Singletary. I know Kerry Singletary. He was Professor yeah. Singletary at yeah. Stetson. I, <laughs> exactly. I, I observed mediations when he used to be at the Barrister's Building. He actually know. trained me, uh, was one of my trainers when I came out as, med as mediator. You know, I my father and I were talking about Kerry this weekend, actually. Because he, like, and cornered had, the market for a while. He was the biggest game in town, was, and he, then he, he kind of... He, he had, the, uh, he had the, the, the plush mediation center down on Jackson Street uh -huh. downtown for years. But, yeah. But they were partners, and they represented just about every labor union on the west coast of Florida. And we did a lot of labor union work on behalf of, of members. I did a lot of criminal work on behalf of members, yeah. a lot of Social Security disability, a lot of workers' compensation, and then pretty much standard you know, uh, mortgage foreclosure stuff. They would call up the union lawyer and see right. if they could help out. So it also gave me an opportunity to do a lot of varying type of oh, yeah. law in different courtrooms, you're kind um, of a fixer. You're like a Michael Clayton type that's character. Right. And if we couldn't do it, we'd find someone, find who, someone could. who could. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. between the unions, between your dad's partner, between your name recognition, you know, those are all uh, helpful to have in this profession. My, Sheridan doesn't get me too far in Tampa, but my <laughs> wife, Basiglio, there are doctors and vets and yep. dentists everywhere. So hence, Basiglio Sheridan <laughs> kept her, her maiden name in the. Well, I just thought that was a a, a, a married thing. Yeah. No, it's a marketing it just, thing. It, it went unsaid. Purely that greed. The, yeah, the name was going to be first. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so then for those ten years you were doing that, where does that bring us up to? Well, uh, along about that time, um, all of the guys that I went to Jesuit with or went to University of Florida with, uh, who did not go into law school but had the foresight enough to start businesses, right? And and you know spend the time that I was you know in libraries in Houston putting together businesses, whether they were construction companies or, you know, whatever they may be, they started having legal issues right. and giving me a call. Hey, can you send a letter to this guy? This guy owes me money. Uh, or I just got sued because an employee left. Right. What do I do? And little by little, literally over the course of probably three or four years, my my, my focus started to shift to the commercial side. Yeah. And and frankly, I enjoyed it a lot more than I, than I enjoyed the PI work. Um, it was fun um, and, 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 you know, I enjoyed getting results for people yeah. in, in that. But, you know, working out the problems. Of, There's a lot of room uh, for creativity, uh, I would. I would. Well, litigation in the in the commercial sense is, is a lot different than litigation uh, in the in the personal injury sense. Yeah. Uh, most personal injury complaints are pretty much standard. The same plate, ones. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you got a commercial case, there are probably 30 different causes of action that could potentially be, you know, utilized 
uh, in any given dispute between people who have a contract issue between one another. And then if you get into employment, and so there's all kinds of things. And then that means there's also all kinds of defenses. For sure, that yeah. Are, are, that, that may or may not be available. I so I don't know if you've seen this at all, but uh, since the whole COVID thing has gone down, uh, my brother-in-law owns a marketing company, and they are, act as a broker. And so there's all these people now with the, the face masks and hand sanitizer and all this where people are trying to, this person want, has a big you know order that they want to put in and this person has the ability to produce it and there's 15 brokers in between and who gets what percentage of the deal and all this other stuff. I was talking to them this weekend and they were asking me about non-circumvent, non-disclosure agreements and all this <laughs> other stuff and who's entitled to what. And I was just like, you guys have made a mess of this. <laughs> like I wouldn't even... Yeah. I, I said, I said, I know with PI, we have, we sign a retainer agreement and we put on there, this person referred and they get this referral fee and there's no argument at the end. That's it's, right. That's what it is. I was like, can you do something like that? And they're like, no, because you don't know who the real buyer is and who the real seller is and how many <laughs> brokers there are. And I was just like, oh, I don't even want to touch that with a 10 foot ball. I'll send them your way. Um, but yeah. So I, I started to, to, to shift my practice, uh, and, and, uh, in, into the commercial area and that was also about the same time that my my mom was a principal, actually a teacher as well, but she was a principal here locally. And, where where and, at? Well, she was uh, she was an assistant principal of various okay. schools, but uh, she was a principal at Broward Elementary, okay. which is in Seminole Heights, okay. one of the original uh, elementary schools, and you know outside of central downtown sure. Tampa, uh, historical building, beautiful, and and she was ramping coming up on her her retirement. They were going to move back down to Anna Maria. We had had the house down there since the '60s, and. And it was now available for them to move to. Right. So uh, uh, he had his. He, you could see he he knew his horizon was coming at least in terms of active daily practice. Right. Right. I mean, you know, he still has his license and he still does some stuff, but active daily is practice. She, is she going still in. with us? She is not. My mom okay. uh, passed in 2017. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so I started, you know, kind of getting my. Uh, okay, where am I going? I'm not anywhere near retirement. And uh, went in uh, in 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 1999 or 2000. Uh, took a position um, with uh, Allen Dell Frank and Trinkle, which is oh, a commercial sure. firm here in town. Well, now Allen Dell <laughs> is that not the same Allen Dell? Yeah, that, that... In, in my day, it was Allen Dell Frank and Trinkle. Okay. And then they, they, for marketing purposes, they they, they do the a name ton of, of family now. They, well, Marion is Marion McCullough is yeah. you know kind of the the one of the family law family law godfathers, queens, godmothers, godmothers queens, yeah. here in Tampa. So but, uh, yeah, you know Phil Wartburg, who I love, uh -huh. he went through there. He just, just got on the bench. Well, the general magistrate, and right. I'm sure that's right. probably in the cards moving forward. And yeah, no, I mean I know they do great work in, in family law. Yeah, and I I, I was there uh, for several years, and then went in with uh, 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 Cass Schuler. Okay, uh, doing a, a friend of mine here in town got me to come over there and bring my practice over there. We had been. We had been litigating against one another for several years. With like, why don't we? Why don't we? <laughs> my advertising and and he said, "Look, you know, why don't you bring your practice over here?" And and so I did, and that lasted a few years. And I decided just to go out on my own, um, and uh, went with a buddy of mine who was in St. Petersburg at the time. Who was that? A guy named Mark Bolden, B O U L D I N. I'm a St. Pete guy originally, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't recognize him. He, he, he didn't do really any criminal work, but he uh, did a lot of commercial stuff, which okay. was in line with what I was doing. And right. he said, "Look, you know, I want to get more into development myself." He wanted to kind of shift away from practice and more into development. So he goes, "You come over and handle this stuff. I'll bring your own practice with you." So I did that. Did the drive across Howard Franklin for about six years. Um, unfortunately, I went over there in 2006, and in 2008, the lights went off in the development and construction industries. So we we kind of shifted our of the focus market a little bit. Yeah, that, tanking, I mean that, yeah. that, that everything tanked. It, yeah. Everything tanked, 
And uh, so, but we, we muddled our way through. But in 2010, I came back over here and, and opened Yanger Law Group over there on Lois Avenue and with uh, myself, a laptop and a printer. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, you know, a few years later, I had uh, three lawyers and uh, several staff people. And uh, we ended up the uh, Bill Bird. I don't know if you know Anthony Gonzalez, but Anthony Gonzalez is a PI lawyer here in town I and do. actually does some criminal work as well. I know him very Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but he was in our Bill Bird was in our building, owned, okay. owned our building. And okay. Bill unfortunately passed. And uh, uh, his wife did not want to continue owning the building. So my wife and I bought the building have tenants and... and uh, it's not the brick building, is it? It is not. Okay. It's uh, Lois and North B, just okay. north of Kennedy. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and uh, started my practice and built it up, and that's where I am today, doing all, probably 90% of what I do is commercial disputes. So, how did the seed for getting on the bench start to work its way into your mind? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very personal decision uh, for everybody. For me, it was particularly, uh, you know, particularly clarifying I mentioned it earlier. Um, look, I, I have built a practice that is comfortable. I can go down to the beach every weekend if I want. I can leave early on Fridays. I make my own decisions. And I could r- continue on for the next 20, 30 years being comfortable and doing what I do. And uh, But uh, in August of 2016, I lost my 22-year-old daughter to a homicide, uh, domestic violence homicide down in Fort Lauderdale. Um, it's still an unsolved uh, an really? unsolved case. Uh, oh my God. Uh, and it's open. Um, and uh, worked for a couple of years with the prosecutor down there and the detectives down there. And ultimately, the case is sitting on, you know, on the filing cabinet waiting for, you know, they say that, you know, it's kind of the proverbial thing that someone's, <clears throat> excuse me, someone's going to have loose lips in a bar somewhere at some point in time. So they keep it open and, uh, and, and keep pushing. But to, more to the point, um, it was a clarifying moment, obviously, in one's life when you you know lose a, a 22-year-old child. And um, I said, you know, what do I want to do with my life? What kind of shadow do I want to cast? What do I want to do with the 30 at that point in time, with the 32 years that I had put in and learned and been mentored? Uh, what do I want to do with it? Uh, I could continue to be me and you know be comfortable the rest of my life, or I could put that knowledge and experience to use. Um, and I had a couple of great mentors uh, when I was going through the system. Bill Bill Levins uh, guided me a number of times on things to do. Uh, Judge Bill Levins for listeners, uh, and I and I determined that I wanted to do that. So in 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 the spring of 2018, um, I put my my hat in the ring for uh, in the last election. I was unsuccessful, uh, but um, you know got the bug and realized that the the reasons I went into it to begin with have not changed. Yeah, and I'm. Uh, and I believe that uh, I bring a lot to the to the position. Can I ask you some questions about your daughter? Sure. Or is it, okay. Sure. So uh, you mentioned it was domestic. Did, so they don't know the perpetrator. No, they do. They, they do, do, and they just can't prove it. Uh, th- there's problems with evidence. Wow. God dang. You know, I lost my mom uh, almost a year ago in July, and then I lost my dad the year before that, and. Uh, I, you know, it's life changing as a 44 year old, 45 year old male. But in, in those same years, I had my daughter who's now six and my son who's two. And it's, I, I can't even, I can't even fathom, you know, the fact that you can continue on and, and have, and have a future. I mean, obviously you had the mother and, and your children and all these other things, but, uh, Wow, I, I can't even. Kind yeah, of well, I'm not going to say anything other than it was uh, it's brutal. Yeah, but um, you know, you have to get up every morning, and probably the best thing that happened to me was that I had a law firm I had to run, I had clients I had to support, I had to show up at court. You know, I had to get on the phone every day, and and that got me out of bed every day for 
for a couple of years, as well as, you know, um, uh, working on the case with the prosecutor down there. Well, so one of the things that I have kind of uh, really hit on a lot with uh, people who've been in that chair talking to me about their campaign and being the judge is uh, certain traits or characteristics that I feel are important as a judge. And uh, I, I had I have had been saying temperament a lot, but kind of as I've discussed temperament with people, it's kind of morphed into empathy. And so, you know, what you're describing to me would seem to me would put you in a u- unique position to be able to have em- not that people can't intellectually put themselves in a victim's position, but there is a difference between intellectually being able to do it and emotionally being able to do it. I tell people on the campaign trail, at least when we had a campaign trail um, in, in the days before COVID. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that with you in a minute. <laughs> I but. tell people all the time that, you know, I really do believe that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the bench is a, it, the, is a, it's a unique political spot. Uh, city councilmen, mayors, city commissioners, state representatives, um, none of those people with the stroke of a pen can take away your money, your property, your children, your life. Sure. Uh, a judge can do that. And people really need to understand that the people that they put in those positions who are going to be wearing the robe um, need to have the ability, uh, I think, uh, to understand and bring that understanding from an expansive life. Not, you know, not, not, you know, not tunnel visioned. And, and I, I'm not making any, you know, determinations no, as to who may in general, or may not for be sure. in general. But, uh, you know, uh, and I've been through the highs of having children like you have and raising them and seeing them blossom. And I've been through the the lows that probably don't get much lower uh, in, in losing it, yeah. a child. And, and, and I've taken that and internalized it. And I believe brings something to the bench that when individuals walk into a courtroom, and you and I both know that most individuals may walk into a courtroom two or three times in their entire life. Right. And they look up and see that that whoever that may be, he or she, that's sitting up there with the black robe, uh, or sitting on the zoom on the zoom here sure, in the yeah. black robe, um, they should be able to expect that that person has that empathy. That person has that understanding that everybody goes home at night, closes the door, and stares at the ceiling about something. Right. And um, to be able to 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 sit up on the bench with the black robe and 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 be confident with the fact that um, I've been through it. I've been there. I may not be able to rule in your favor, but I understand your position, and I will listen and make a fair determination. I was having a conversation last week. I had uh, Bryant Scriven on. I don't know if you know Bryant. He's an attorney locally, does criminal defense. Uh, He's a a black attorney, and we were talking about his experiences growing up in Brooksville and, uh, you know, interactions with police officers, and he's got friends as police officers and everything else. But, you know, we were talking about how that can be comforting to a client knowing that they're believed or that they're not not believed because they're not police or they're not this color or not that color or the other thing. And so, you know, you've, you hear this so much, especially in, in criminal or sometimes in family, but, you know, they're never going to believe me, the police to testify in this, whatever, or you know, in family law, it's like, well, they're always going to give the child to mom, you know, all these things. So there's all these kind of preconceived notions about what judges' inclinations are. But, you know, I see I see certain judges on the bench, and it just seems to me like maybe they made a mistake. Maybe they didn't know what it was going to be, and they're, they're uh, disenfranchised or unhappy or kind of you know, burnt out on the position. And so I just think it's so important to have your eyes open going into that position because you're like you mentioned, the buck stops with you. You know, most people don't have the money to appeal a ruling. So whatever you're going to do is going to be in county court. 
especially in county court, you know, with injunctions, we were talking about injunctions, traffic tickets. I mean, a lot of times it's like, we have a very appealable issue here. Do you want to spend $10,000 on, on that issue? And most people just throw their hands up in the air and walk away. But, you know, so the temperament, empathy, that sort of thing, I just think is so important. Um, have you, you mentioned to me a little bit, I think before the show, have you spoken with judges? I mean, obviously you've got your experience as an attorney, but have you ta- reached out to judges and asked them, you know, what is it that, I, that I'm not anticipating? What is it that I haven't thought of? What is it that I'm in for that, I, you know, maybe I wouldn't have otherwise known about? Yeah, and I talk a lot about the fact that, um, and, and this, you know, in, in talking about my experience and qualifications, you know, I probably have appeared in front of thousands of judges and have the same experience as you have. There are some that just really um, were not up for the job, at least on that day that I was there. Right. Um, but there are others that are, you know, just at, are absolute role models in terms of the way they handle the position, they handle stress, they handle difficult clients and difficult lawyers, yeah. uh, as we all know, uh, oh, exist. for sure. And, uh, but um, probably the uh, the best sage advice I got were from a couple of them. Greg Holder. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, was, uh, he goes, you're going to find that the, the toughest transition is likely going to be going from advocate to judge because you've spent 34 years advocating on a position on the part of whoever you're standing there next to in that courtroom in front of the six people that you may be uh, arguing their point for, right? And you're going to have to put all that aside and kind of, and it's going to be a transition. Yeah. And and uh, you know every uh, Jack Gutman we talked about earlier. Jack Gutman's a friend, uh, and I've um, you know and he's I've, only I've, been on the bench now for under two years, right? Uh, yeah, he 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 won in 2018. Yeah. So he's been there a couple of years, and and uh, he said that was a transition for him as well. Yeah. Uh, as, as it would be for anybody. I mean, you do this for thir- a certain way for 34 years, where you bring a case in, okay. You start immediately saying, "Okay, what are my good points and what are my black points that right. I've got to make sure that I don't step in that bucket?" Right. Uh, as a judge, you've got to kind of, you know, look at look at everything, right. and, and that's a generality. But that's a tough. I think that's a tough transition. But it's not a it's not an unusual transition because every judge that was a practicing had lawyer it. had to do it, and some more successfully than others. But um, that's the transition. I think I'll. I'll make successfully. Now, another thing that I heard is there is a sense of isolation with a lot of judges because uh, they came from firms or wherever, or they had uh, other attorneys they could talk to. And, you know, once you're on the bench, you're kind of, you know, got the scarlet letter on, you know, you know, people are afraid to take you to lunch. People are, you know, the whole kind of, Playing playing board changes a can little you, bit. Can you drink a beer, Your Honor? I, <laughs> I'll allow it. Sustained. <laughs> right. Um, but no, yeah, I, it's it's a different. It's I a think diff- it will be a transition. Yeah. I, I definitely think it will be. But you know, I also think that uh, people understand that judges are you know judges live lives too. Right. You know, judges are are amongst us every day. Yeah. Um, and living life the way they live life. We go to the beach. We fish. Or I say we, uh, uh, anticipating. Yeah. But uh, they go to the beach. They fish. They raise kids. They they. They have sorrow, they have happiness, and, and yeah. they just happen to be in a position where they are charged by the Constitution of the state to make determinations regarding facts and law. Yeah. Well, um, a couple other things that I've talked about with some of the judges is uh, what I've heard, at least, I don't, I've heard this in Hillsboro, is that at least on the circuit bench, uh, kind of what they like to do if they can is they put the new judges in family law because uh, they don't have the added. Um, added concern of a jury, which is kind of an art form all to itself on top of every other thing that you have to do. Uh, For those of you who don't know that are listening or those of you that do, there's not a lot of family law that's happening in the county court. Uh, You've got small claims. You've got just uh, 
injunctions, restraining orders, which is kind of a subcategory of family law. You have misdemeanor criminal. What else am I missing? Is that pretty much it? Uh, well, uh, with the with the caveat that you know we just went up to thirty thousand from fifteen thousand in terms of jurisdictional limits, so that opens up the the amount, oh, wow. the, the type of cases. I didn't know that. Yeah, the county court went up to thirty this year, and it's going to go up to fifty in in twenty twenty three. Going to get a bunch of contractors. So <laughs> yeah, so there's going to be a you know it's th- there's going to be a slow shift, which is good for the circuit because it takes pressure takes off, of them off of them and, and, sure, yeah. and, and brings those cases to the county court. Um, but, uh, yeah. And on the civil side, you know, really, um, I've even spoken to, uh, uh, a number of PI lawyers that as this jurisdictional amount goes up, they're considering, and some have already done considering filing some of their smaller PI that cases makes in county court, because they're not going to be number one fighting with the delays that a circuit sure. court has because county court still, we have delays, but there's a little bit more flexibility involved. Um, and so I, I think you're going to see a shift over the next few years in the county court as to what the nature of the cases that are coming, at least on the civil side. Right. Do you, have you heard of any kind of policy of where they like to put new judges, or is it just kind of filling whatever spot? Well, I think definitely new judges are going to handle, new county court judges are going to handle some form of the of the DV docket, the domestic violence well, docket. Well, they opened it I up. Think. It used to be just the two divisions in downtown, and then I think one in, in Plant. In Plant City. And now yeah. it's... Is it four downtown and two in Plant City? I know. I thought there were three that were dedicated, and all of them have you know a, a, a split docket. In other words, some they do something else, but they have For sure a, they a have DV, a civil. I know Peroni, Costello, Allen. I think isn't isn't is Courtney still doing it or not? No, she's doing PP court. She, that's she's, right. Yeah. She's PP court. So, I, and I, I'm not real sure right now. Um, I think Weiss and McNeil in Plant City. I know Weiss was, and and in fact, uh, I. A friend of mine that is actually running for judge had a uh, a DV hearing in front of Weiss last week, so I know he's doing them. I mean McNeil, I'm sorry, McNeil yeah, last week. Yeah, yeah. So. God, I remember. Did you ever have to go out to the old Plant City Courthouse? Oh yeah, man. Oh yeah, those were the days. I actually watched my dad try a jury trial in the Plant City Courthouse back when I was probably you know 14. I was actually going to Jesuit. And I worked as a runner. In those days, we had runners at the courthouse. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, at the at the law firms because we didn't file electronically. Oh, yeah. And so we would every afternoon, whatever your pleadings you were filing that day, you would have your runner run down to the courthouse, file them with the clerk, get stamped, and bring them back. And um, I forget where I was going with that. No, no, no. <laughs> we were Plant City, kind of a tangent. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, I saw I watched my dad try a case out in Plant City, a, a PI case, and uh, it was it, it was great. It was wonderful yeah. watching him in that courthouse. Yeah, yeah. Um, my wife worked uh, for Sandy Solomon, Solomon and mm-hmm. Trop. When yep. we, I came right out on my own, but she did a year there, and I remember going to visit her one time, and she took me to the, I don't know if you've ever been in their offices, but beautiful offices on Kennedy, but they have this center room there where they have like on-staff runners, and they have people who create your <laughs> trial binders and all this other stuff. And I was they like, have their T-shirts and their I was like, you are so spoiled because I'm three-hole punching my exhibits. I'm running. I'm the runner. I do all that other stuff, but... Uh, it's kind of a, a dream to be able to have that stuff, but anyway. But so, it's amazing to think back on the on the fact when we didn't have e filing, um, how cumbersome it was. Oh I, I can God, remember so mailing your summons. Well, you still plant or uh, Newport Richie. They won't let you e file your summons. You got to mail right. it over there with a check. Yeah, coming in and and, and having the, all the mail sitting out on your desk to to take a look and then rec- you know getting the handheld to record your letters back to them oh. and then they would it was it, amazing that we got through it. Oh, but, it's uh, crazy. Technology crazy. moves on. I, I mean, even fax machines. I don't think I've faxed anything in five years. But no, no, no. Well, interesting. Apropos of nothing, but I had a divorce. I always think this is funny. I tell this story. I had a divorce in Orlando at the big courthouse downtown in Orlando, and I went there and I went up to the judge and. Uh, gave the final judgment to the judge's signature, and I said, Judge, I have extra copies for you to do conform copies. He's like, oh, you have to go down to the third floor 
to get the conformed copies. I said, okay, so I got in the elevator. I, I don't do much work there. I asked the security, and they're like, get down at the end of the hall, take a right. And you go in this room. There's no one in there. And there's a table with every judge's conformed copy stamp just sitting on the table. <laughs> and you just conform copy your own thing. And I was like, do you guys have a million complaints about, like, fraudulent orders? And I was like... That that just seems like the worst idea in the world to me. That just anybody can walk into that room yeah. and conform copy. Well, I, think their there own was order. A, I think there was a lawyer in uh, in Newport Ritchie that got into a little mess for uh, 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 going into the clerk's office and 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 reconforming oh, man. documents. Oh, so man. that was a while back. So uh, you mentioned earlier, and I wanted to touch on it a little bit longer. You know, I, I think a lot of people coming into this election who had previously run for judge might have felt that they had a leg up because they knew what they were in for. And then uh, this COVID kind of threw everybody for a, a loop. And how is this compared to the last time? I mean, you, you can't go out and knock on doors as much. You can't sit on the side of the road and wave. You know, speaking events are by and large done. I mean, done. Yeah. So have you been able to adapt to the new world? And yeah, uh, you know, we're, we're trying, we're trying and, and, and luckily, not luckily, but you know, the reality is everyone's in the same boat. Right. So, um, you know, we've had to come up with creative ways and, uh, in some, in some instances, less expensive ways, in some instances, more expensive ways or shift resources, AKA campaign financial, uh, money that we have been able to raise or put in ourselves to spend on a campaign. Unfortunately, it's an expensive thing to do, and and you 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 need the cash in order to spread your message and to get your name and your experience and qualifications in front of eyeballs that are voters. So it is a, a it is black and white difference between the last election. Um, being able to sit in a room and meet 50, 60 people out of 500 people in the course of a half an hour. Um, is vastly different than trying to reach them through the bubble that is Facebook or the bubble that is oh, Instagram. Yeah, it's like writing thank you letters after you got to write yeah. one to each person. Yeah. It takes 10 times yeah. as long. And so, you know, there, there, we have other uh, uh, mechanisms that we're trying to use to reach those people, to reach the people that are voters. There are going to be a few events, apparently at least they're tentatively scheduled, that are um, in-person events, uh, larger events. I think they're going to CDC spread people out tables and things yeah. like that, and we'll at the, as as you know with everything with with the news changing every day about what's happening now with it, uh, we'll see what happens when the time comes for whether or not we'll be attending them, um, and whether or not frankly they're going to continue to go forward with them based on what happens. Uh, but it's always nice to be able to look someone in the eye and talk oh. to them about who you are and what you do, and I think it's more effective. Uh, it, and something that some people don't talk that many people don't talk about too is that you establish these really great and deep personal relationships with the people that are also running, either right. for judge or for county commission or it's for whatever It's kind of like going to war. Was, well, you yeah, see them five yeah. nights a yeah, week. Yeah, you guys at, are all doing you know, the same thing. We're all eating the same rubber chicken, yeah. and we're all trying to talk to the same voters, and yeah. you kind of you get to know who their wives and their husbands are and their children on, on occasion who come in and help out. Uh, and I miss that kind of camaraderie of the, the literally the campaign trail yeah. on, on a daily basis. Yeah. I mean, in that first, I, I'm, I put more miles on my truck. Hillsborough County is a big county. Oh, for sure. I put more miles on my truck in in that five month period before the election in 2018 than I did in the previous four years I owned the truck. I mean, yeah. it was it's crazy, but uh, 
But we're doing the best we can to get in front of people things like podcasts, things like uh, you know other other forms of communication, as well as some more technical digital uh, targeting for voters on on social media and things like that. So doing the best we can. Well, and you know I've been having this conversation a lot with not just guests, but you know colleagues and, and people in my life. But I, I the, the one good thing that's come out of this is at least in my opinion. It's showing that the way we do this work can be done differently. Uh, you know, I'm a big, I would never want to go back mediations to doing them in person. I'm so much more in the camp of doing Zoom mediations. Uh, we were talking about mediations, Carrie Singletary, earlier. But, mm -hmm. you know, right now you get a full day mediation. You got to pack up your trial box. You got to have your laptop equipped with your child support guidelines. You have to have all your file. And then if you've got to reschedule it or schedule this, you got to call your assistant and get everything else. With these Zooms, I'm sitting there, I, I have my Uber E, I get my tacos, I'm eating my tacos off to the side of the camera, <laughs> I've got my computer with everything right there, and it's so much more functional, you know, we're sitting there, and you know, a big part of my practice is family law, and I'm running child support guidelines as I'm talking to them, and it's, I just think, I, I really sincerely hope that whoever the powers that be are, I don't know if it's the chief judge, I don't know if it's the governor, I don't know where that power falls, but I really hope that there's a, a, a re-examining of what can be done that way versus the way that we're doing it. Because between the parking you see, between the security issues, between the, I mean, you know, as a private practice person, I don't know if it's this way with commercial as much, but with criminal, you have to be in four different courtrooms all at 830. And it's like, how do I do that? I, I just... Right. And, and for a while there, we were all using coverage attorneys, but then, you know, judges get upset about that. And I understand why, but it's like, well, that person needs to file a limited notice of appearance that they covered for you on this date. And it's like, it creates even more problems. But with the Zoom, I can sit there and I can have four different courtrooms on my, so depositions are touch, uh, touchy, uh, any kind of evidentiary hearing where you're having to, like you say, put your eyes on somebody and to be able to hand someone exhibits on a, on a computer, it's, it's a little bit clunky, but yeah, we were having this conversation last week that, uh, things definitely are going to change. I think the evidentiary, uh, uh, any kind of, of, of procedure where you've got a, uh, someone's got to take evidence and right. look at evidence. That has to different. be in person, but I can't name Dispo the hearings, pre-trials, the number of times I've had to get in my office, drive 10 minutes downtown, park five bucks, walk over to the courthouse in July, it's sweating, yeah. uh, stand in security, go upstairs, have a literally 45 second hearing with a, with a circuit judge that says, yeah, granted, send me the order, yeah. walk back to the car, drive back to the office, just a, a total waste of professional time uh, for the client, you know, because the, the, well, the, ultimately the client's paying for that time when... In fact, you were, you know, what you, and I, you know, I'm not giving up any secrets because essentially, you know, part of, of, of being an advocate is getting to the courthouse. Right. So, uh, but, but the point being is, is it can be done so much more efficiently. Yeah. And I think this is teaching us that it can be done so much more efficiently. Well, uh, before we wrap up, I kind of wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to those that are listening. I ask everybody who's come on this show, you know, what it is that you hold dear, or think is important about the, the the position that you're seeking, and why you think you're uniquely qualified for it. So I don't know if you want to speak on that a little bit. Sure. Um, you know, it, particularly particularly in my race, um, you know, all professional individuals, um, all individuals who you know by Florida law are qualified to run for judge, um, uh, and and I I know all of them in in varying degrees. Uh, the, the three other the three other candidates. But I think I can say uh, uh, without hesitation that the depth and breadth 
of my experience, uh, everything from, you know, state court, and that includes family law, criminal law, uh, uh, and, and, and general civil litigation. Uh, federal court, tried a number of jury trials in federal court. I've done, uh, f- spent years doing trademark enforcement in federal oh, wow. court. And, uh, you ever have uh, Judge Kovakovich? Uh, well, I, I did, uh, and, and was one of the most beautiful ex- uh, uh, She was my neighbor. I grew up across the street from Judge <laughs> oh, Kovakovich. Right? She used to walk the street every morning, I remember. It was just a beautiful it. legal experience yeah. to know, to, to be in there. And, and actually, um, I believe it was Tom Palermo's investiture. She was, she was there, uh-huh. and she was, she was the rock star in the room. Yeah. She, was, she really was. She's a character. But um, uh, uh, so, you know, federal court and, and even into administrative hearings in representing the teachers union for years, we would go all the way up through the, you know, through the Board of Education and handling uh, in, in administrative proceedings for licensing and things like that. Uh, I've been there and done that in terms of really, uh, you know, and someone might, some people might say, okay, well, you're a jack of all trades and a master of none, but I am a master of the courtroom. Yeah. I, know where the, I know where the court reporter is. I know where the clerk is. I know what the judge's job is to do, and I know what the lawyer's job is to do. Um, pick many, many juries and know how that goes. And uh, we, may, we may pick fewer juries on county court. But remember, too, our, like I told you before, our, uh, our jurisdictional limits are going up. And Ron uh, Ficarota, Judge Ron Ficarota, is, not, uh, is known you know, to, to put a, a county court judge or two to substitute for for circuit judges that may not be available, uh, right. so that may be that may occur too. But I, I just think from a from a knowledge perspective, a qualifications perspective, and and really an experience from a legal standpoint perspective, um, you know, I, I I I have far more breadth and depth of, of experience than than the other folks in my race. They're all good lawyers, um, and will all continue to be good lawyers. Uh, but we, uh, you know, we, we, we have differing ways that we got there. Right. And, and add in to what we talked about earlier, my, my life experiences, um, I, I really just think, you know, uniquely qualify me to stand in front of people or sit in front of people, listen, um, decipher what's happening and make a fair determination. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing to do. And I don't know if there's another race out there with four candidates. There's in not, it. just ours. So I, I'm sure that there's pre- a race with three in circuit court. Other than that, they're all two person races. I'm sure that presents all sorts of unique considerations that the yeah, other people don't I, have to I, contend I, with. Know, it, it, the math is difficult to, right. to, to get through August yeah. uh, 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 for any of us. Are you uh, able so, to track numbers at all? Are you able to get any kind of strong idea? Or is it a little bit guesswork? No, you, you can't. It's yeah. uh, especially with county court versus even circuit court to a certain extent, but especially county court. Uh, you know, name neck recognition, and you know, if you were to call up and, and do polls and things like that, you know, we're right on the ballot. Literally, we're right above soil and conservation at yeah. the end. The, the county court judges are pretty much at the end of the ballot. And my last name is Yanger. Yeah, so you're and, at the bottom. And uh, I'm at the bottom of that. I, I'm at the bottom of that yeah. particular race. So. Um, you know, we uh, uh, we just you know do the best we can every day to to try to make sure that people know who we are, where we came from, and uh, that we will th- that we would do the job uh, uh, as hard and empathetically as we can and be fair, abiding by the Constitution every day. How how can people find you? Do you have a, a judge a judicial social media page, website, your firm? Fa- Facebook. You can just you know uh, search Bill Yanger for Judge. Okay. We have a Bill Yanger for Judge page. Uh, my, my, my actual website is yangerforjudge.com, okay. uh, and that's on there. And then um, you know, we're on uh, various other social platforms, Instagram, things like that. And uh, 
but and my my cell phone I, I give out to everybody and 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 I get called by by constituents so I guess they're not constituents until you actually represent them or get yeah. or get elected yeah but I get called all the time and asked questions some I can answer some I can't and that's eight one three six zero one ninety five hundred pretty easy to remember awesome well thank you so much for coming in uh, a lot of we've got friends and family in common or like you got to talk to Bill you got to talk to Bill and it was right around that time that COVID hit and. So, you know, for a while there, no one was even coming into the office, and it looks like we may be going back down that path again. I'm afraid so. So we're the same way. My my paralegal's been working remotely since March, uh, that first, that March 15th weekend, and uh, we don't anticipate her coming back. I go in because it's the building's empty. So right. it's just as well for me to be there as to be at home and have a refrigerator, you know, 13 yeah. feet away that yeah. I visit too often. So uh, I spend a lot of time at the office. Uh, our tenants, in fact, are, are, are working remotely. So um, Crazy days. Well, yes. I wish you the best. Thank you so much for taking the time to stop by and actually coming in earlier. I appreciate that. My assistant appreciates that because she has like 20 <laughs> files she wants to talk to me about. But I wish you the best of luck and uh, uh, good luck. Thank you, Josh. We'll see you soon. All right.